Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello, this is David Hepworth with a special word in your ear. Uh, I'm joined by friend of the podcast, uh, a previous guest at Word in Your Ear, John Savage. Hello, John. Hello, David. Nice Where are we speaking you. to you from? Um, Bumaris Anglesey on a sleety, cold, late winter day. Right, absolutely. And uh, we're gathered here to, to just talk about your uh, new compilation album that you've put together. Uh, John Savage's 1967, the year pop divided. Now, last time we spoke, John, it was about your book about 1966. Is this connected? Is this your next project? Do you get asked by people if your next book is going to be about 1967? Yes, I was asked whether I had a new book coming out at the same time, and I said, get out of here. 1966 was hard enough work. Um, I'm taking a bit of a break, David, letting the world fill up again. But what happened is that um, the 1966 comp on ACE, which ACE did uh, last year, or no, in fact, it was the end of 2015, did quite well. And we all enjoyed working together because it's great to work with. Um, I've known Rogers for years and years and years since the days of uh, Rocks Off in Soho Market, um, which would be 30, 30, 30 years ago. We used to go and buy records there. And um, it's a pleasure to work with them. And so we decided to do another one, which is 1967, which is the, the compilation at issue. And we're going to do a third one, which we're just beginning to plan right now. So it's going to be a trilogy. So you've always been keen on compilations. Is that fair to say? Yes. I think what's nice, and you probably have this as well, is that you move from being critic. I mean, I began writing for the music press as an enthusiast. And then because it comes thick and fast, when you're actually writing for Music Press, which I did now uh, for over 40 years ago, so it's a long time ago, you do become a critic and you do say bad things about things as well as good things. But then going, starting to do compilations, which I have been doing for now for about 12, 13 years, takes you back to being an enthusiast, which is why we all got into this. And it's a very good feeling. I really enjoy it. 
And did you start doing this sort of stuff when you were a teenager? Were you one of those people with a with a cassette player and uh, lined up next to the radio and so forth, putting together your own compilation? Do you remember doing that? I certainly do. Uh, I actually have a little notebook here from 1967, which has my recorded um, playlists, my record the tracks that I heard on Radio Caroline South. And it was actually invaluable when putting this together because there's so many records I'd forgotten. As well as the two CDs of 67, there was obviously some wasted, some records couldn't get because Ace are very scrupulous about this and very, very hardworking. You know, Liz Buckley and Mick Patrick, who I've worked with on this, have worked so hard, you know, to do all the proper business. Um, but there's another CD of tracks that I just have no memory of, which I've just done on iTunes. I'm always burning iTunes compilations of records, you know, by the Californians and by Sounds Around, which is all stuff I heard on Radio Caroline 67, recorded in my book. And what's interesting about it, and I'm sure you think about this as well, is that at any given time, there is the pop sound of the moment. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating hearing the pop sound of 67 applied to mainstream pop records. So, so you know, there's a bit of psych, a few strings, a bit of spacey lyrics, and it's kind of great. So let's get an idea of the kind of stuff you've got here. You obviously, there's very well-known stuff like The Birds, Say You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star, and Sonny and Shares, The Beat Goes On. But there's also less well-known stuff like The Attack, and Try It, and so forth, and, uh, and uh, what else have we got here? And then there's kind of soul hits like The Barquet's Soul Finger, Aretha Franklin's Respect, lesser-known things like... Uh, Lesser-known uh, stuff from people who became quite well-known later, like Terry Reid with Peter Jay's Jaywalkers doing the hand don't fit the glove. So, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, give us an idea of the kind of scope of, what, uh, of how, you, how you put this together. Well, it's very much to do with how I heard pop music at the age of 13 on Radio Caroline South. And they mixed everything up. Obviously, the Pirates, um, and this is the last, pretty much the last gasp of Radio Caroline. It was going in 68, I remember. But in, in 1967 was obviously the year that the Pirates were outlawed in, in August. And they had a much more, um, they had a much wider playlist than the BBC, which was still very restricted at the time. And they played a lot of American records. And so what you'd hear is you'd hear Buffalo Springfield next to Joe Tex. And you'd have mainstream pop records, of which there are some on this, mainstream-sounding pop records, um, which there's some on this compilation. Uh, they weren't necessarily hits, but it was a pop sound of the day by the Marmalade or um, the Searchers or people like that, along with, you know, um, uh, along with Captain Beefheart or Booker T and the MG. So it's a whole kind of mashup. And what's happened since, obviously, is that, you know, you're only allowed to like Psych, you're only allowed to like Soul, but in fact, I experienced, and you probably did at the time as well, all these things put together. And in fact, one, this is one of the reasons why Ace seemed to enjoy doing these compilations, is that they're not solely genre-based. This is, it's so true, because listening to it, the thing it took me back to <clears throat> is um, in Wakefield, where I was living in 1967, I think the first disco, and I think they even called it a discotheque, at the time, came to Wakefield, which was great excitement. And uh, in order to publicise it, they had uh, an attempt on the world DJing record. 
and the DJ played for 48 hours or whatever. And you, you just turned up any hour of the day or night and, and, uh, and listlessly danced near his, you know, his DJ station. And this is the kind of mix of records he played. He just, people just played absolutely everything at that point, you know, because it was all aimed at one pop chart, really, wasn't it? You know, there was, yeah. no, there was no subculture to aim at. It was one culture. And in a way, the, the thing that happens in 67, absolutely, and the thing that happens in 67 is that the subculture starts to develop by the end of the year. And it's very interesting. I found an ad for W.H. Smith at the end of the year, which lists about 40 albums, psychedelic albums, uh, or psych- near-psychedelic albums that you could buy. And suddenly you notice that it's not beginning to be aimed not all at one chart. And I'm a product of that one chart moment. And I loved it because you'd hear everything, including records that you hated. Um, and I do make that point that somewhere in March, April, there is this absolutely dreadful top ten full of Engelbert Humperdinck and two versions of This Is My Song. And those records just made me want, you know, just made me want to die with boredom. <laughs> I mean, you remember this. And the experience of the 60s as a pop fan, you know, until the end of the 60s, really, um, certainly in this year, 1966 and before, 64, 65, 63, is that you'd hear all these dreadful records and then suddenly you'd hear the Yardbirds or the Stones or the Kinks or, um, or the Supremes. And the, those records would leap out at you, and that would make it much more intense. Absolutely. It's the, the intensity of your affection for these records grew in direct uh, you know, uh, proportion to how difficult they were to, to get to hear them. You, know, you couldn't guarantee that they were going to turn up in the next half hour, could you? No, and in many ways, this is this is it's fascinating going back and, and, and looking at the history of things because it's quite different from what people think. Most people, a lot of people, don't really think. I mean, a lot of people don't really you know care particularly about pop music. They'll just listen to what they hear or what's in the charts or what's being promoted. But and, and the sort of general idea of the sixties is that it's something like a sort of you know Austin Powers going down the <laughs> streets and his Union Jack uh, E type, and it just wasn't like. That. No, no, no. People were not wearing flares in 1967, were they? Uh, a few were. Um, and, and, and also maybe people wanted to. The thing is also, that counter to that, obviously, was the fact you had a very, very... If you look at the music press and the youth media at that time, which you as a, as a, as a magazine fan you know, would know, is that it was incredibly sophisticated. And with all the magazines, the weeklies and the monthlies, you know, Rave and Fabulous 208 and record mirror and disco music echo they probably reached about a million kids a month so you had all this stuff being pumped out to a very large teenage audience Mm. now the thing that strikes me about this stuff listening to to all of it and you know just a few more names here you've got the piccadilly line but you've got also uh, diana ross and the supremes reflection you've got the fortunes you've got the marmalade you've got four tops I think you, you, do you? I think you talk about Baroque Motown, don't you? Which is <laughs> I, a, I like that expression. It's very good. I did a comp about hmm, ten, fifteen years ago for Motown um, called "The Shadows of Love," which was sixty-six to sixty-eight, which is pure Baroque Motown. This is this is Hollandosia Holland going completely imperial um, just before they actually left Motown in sixty-eight, and so you've got. Um, Harpsichords, but a harpsichord yes. in um, in the Gladys Knight, Take Me in Your Arms and Love Me. You've got oscillations, psychedelic effects and reflections. 
Um, I always loved the way that Diana Ross sang uh, Through the Harlow of My Tears. And I thought, is she talking about a, a London new town? <laughs> the town of the Essex. Yeah, or through the Stevenage of my soul, <laughs> through the welling of my words, etc. Um, so, yeah, the Motown is getting very intense and quite dark. You know, the four tops in particular were on a really dark rolling. Um, and the next year you have, obviously, I'm in a different world by the four tops, which is, and you keep running away, it's very obsessive. Um, you know, Seven Rooms of Gloom and all those tunes. It's quite weird, actually. The thing that strikes me about listening to all of them, and, you, you know, there's, there's an awful lot. You've got 48 tracks over two CDs here. All in mono, I note, which is obviously how they would originally have come out. The thing that strikes me about listening to a lot of them is that they're mainly quite up-tempo, aren't they? Yes, um, and this is very much in contrast to the mode of today where you have a lot of power balance, which I personally can't stand, because ballad then was mainly still the preserve of mums and dads records. Um, the pop stuff was up-tempo, you're absolutely right, and, um, and also that's the kind of music I like. I like up-tempo, I hate mid-paced rock. Um, I just think pop music should be fast, or else if you're gonna, not going to have it being fast, then you listen to, I don't know, Terry Riley or something where there's no beat at all. Uh-huh. Um, so that that is my predilection. I'm sure you could find ballads from that year. But, don't. I mean, a lot of the ballads, as I said, ballads were were mums and dads records and Please Release Me by Angle But Humperdinck. It was very, very big that year. Um, the Last Waltz and all those records. That just drove me crazy. Whereas these records were probably all made for people to dance to, for teenagers, hoping that teenagers were going to dance to them, whatever they were, whoever they were by. I think that's a very good point, and I think that's how singles were chosen. So, for instance, even if you've got a psychedelic group like the 13th Floor Elevators, it's an up-tempo number. You could dance to it. Um, and I think that's very important. So that was still, as you said about your disco, that was why singles were released. Um, they were basic teenage dance fodder, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So what would you say, would you say there are any lyrical themes that these records had in common? Drugs. Drugs. It's, it's the windows of your mind. It, it's, it's, you know, um, it's a lot of mind, a lot of dreams. Um, LSD is definitely making an impact in that year. Um, there are some pro-LSD records, like I'm Five Years Ahead of My Time by the Third Gardo and Associates for Elevators. And then there's a couple of anti-ones, which I find fascinating. Um, there's a record by Rex Garvin and the Mighty Cravers, Cravers called Believe It or Not, which is hilarious. It's this guy saying, you know, don't take LSD, it's going to send you mad. And then my, one of my favorites by The Shag, uh, nothing to do with sex, by the way, um, called Stop and Listen, where, where the singer's actually saying, you know, everybody's telling me about LSD, telling me it's great, excuse me, I don't want to hear it. So that, that's The Shag, not, not to be confused with The Shags. C- correct. Really? Yeah, play. <laughs> right. So that's the lyrical stuff. What about the kind of musical themes? Do they have sounds in common, these records, do you think? I think one of the reasons that I wanted to put them in mono, as you noticed, is that in the original, and actually it was quite hard to do, a lot of the time that the um, compilation took was actually getting the right mixes, um, because, of course, everybody's so um, used to stereo. So when we were getting the masters from the various uh, licensors, 
Um, as you well know, that's what happens, and it takes a long time to get. A lot of them are in stereo, so that was the problem. What happens in the original mix, as you remember, which is the glory of the single, is that something would leap out at you from the mix. There would be the, the actual sound that was highlighted in the mix that was the gimmick. So you have electronic sounds here. You've got it on Yellow Brick Road by Captain Beefheart. You've got the Blossom Toes, Look at Me, I'm You. You've got a bit of music concrete. You've got Psych Rock by Les Eper Sound, which is electronic. So you've got that. And then you've obviously you've got the psychedelic stuff. You've got the oscillations in reflections by uh, Diana Ross. And, um, you know, you've got strings. It's all getting a bit more complicated. You've got different kind of instruments, a lot of strings, um, a bit of, you know, East-West Butterfield Blues Band kind of modal Eastern east-west in the behemoth by the shadows of night. Um, so there's, and then of course I can hear the grass grow with the squeaks in it. So there's a lot of kind of um, cob psychedelic stuff which I absolutely love. Yeah, and yeah. it's one of the things that I always hated about the band, which is that they said, "Oh, we got rid of all that psychedelic shit." <laughs> Excuse me, dancing <laughs> backwards sitars, bring it up. <laughs> So, what's your what's your personal favourite of the forty eight here, John? They're the personal favourites that I just remember from the time super fondly, like the hand don't fit the glove with by Terry Reid, which was a huge record for me back in the day. And then there's the ones I've heard later, like five, I'm five years ahead of my time. So I'm pretty much like most of them. It changes all the time. A very special one that I love is Tintin Abbey Vacuum Cleaner which is really wonderful. It's very psychedelic in a very subtle way. Um, so, yeah, you know, I like all of them, actually. Well, I was delighted to finally get to hear Dyke and the Blazers doing So Sharp, which I'd never actually heard. I've heard cover versions of it, but never actually heard the, uh, the original. So, and there it is on this, uh, on this wonderful compilation, John Savage's 1967, The Year Pop Divided. So, John, you said there's another compilation coming after this? Yes, we are discussing 65 or 68, and I think it's going to be 65. 65, always a wise choice. <laughs> well, I, I, of course, I love 68 because you've got really overblown psychedelic records in that. But um, I, I think, it, I think it, it's, it's going to be 1965, which, of course, was another fantastic year. Um, we're just, I'm actually just looking at the track list this morning and working out how to boil. How many are there? The minute we got, I did three CDs worth of stuff, 82 tracks down to 48. So it's starting the whittling process. It sounds like fun, actually, John. It is. And, you know, the people at Ace, um, you know, Roger Armstrong, Mick Patrick, Liz Buckley, A.D. Prosdell, are just fantastic to work with. And, and, and that's also part of it, is that it's, it's fun. And you're talking to people who are passionate about music and also produce very, very high-quality um, CDs. You know, nothing is stinted um, as far as actually getting the commissions, you know, doing the artwork, you know, and that's what I like. It's real attention to detail. OK, have fun with it, John. Thanks very much for talking to us. This has been a Word Podcast. If you want to subscribe to Word Podcast, you go to wordpodcast.co.uk. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.